What's up, everyone? This is Raphael Garcia here with Sean Humes for episode number 228 of the MMA Ratings podcast. We have a big interview to preview today and give some predictions on top of that. But before we do, I always want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe wherever you find our content. You can check us out at our flagship first and foremost at MMARatings.net and .com. You can hit us up on social media at MMARatingsNet in both spaces. Check us out across all podcasting platforms. Search for MMA Ratings and also check us out on YouTube. Give us a good subscription there and join us at MMA Ratings on YouTube as well. Myself, you can find me at rgarcia underscore sports on social media. Schwan, you can hit him with a black turn green. Schwan, let everybody know how you're doing. Uh, not too bad. Just chilling as always. You know me, staying busy, staying out of trouble. Our girls out trying, the house. Trying to get my kids not to come back home. They're talking about weather and weather at is getting bad. And they don't want to st- be around the people they're around. I'm like, that's that's why you move. So you don't have to be around me. So don't Tell, them to tough it out. Tell them to tough it out. They'll be all right. I'm just not answering my phone. Just not answering my phone. Tell their mom not to answer her phone either. Listen, you should change the number. I thought about that. I thought about that, but my parents already got on me for doing that the last two times. So Once they move out, just change the number. Be like, yo, we don't live here anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm really considering that, but we'll see. So, all right, let's talk MMA because we have a very big pay-per-view to preview this weekend. But before we talk about the matches themselves. Let's, I'm going to ask a question first and foremost. So the UFC has increased their pay-per-view cost. I believe it's 70 $75, one or two now. And I want to say it's increased every like three years or so. The, the amount of money is cost. Uh, the, the show's costs go up. Dana White says it's all on you on, on the ESPN um, decision makers who made that call. I don't have that. I don't have an answer to that. I don't, I don't know that piece. But let me ask you a question. Just looking at the card itself. Is this card worth $70? Why or why not? I don't think so. I mean, it, it's ta- it's like I said for a while, what UFC is doing is the same thing they accuse boxing of doing. They're basically having, a, you know, an event that's got maybe two or three fights that are pay-per-view worthy, and the rest of the fights, you know, could be on a uh, fight night or a, or something like that. It's It's not big event kind of fight so this is the biggest heavyweight fight they've had in a while might might be one of the top top three or four of all time as far as importance and dominance of the people involved in it and then of course you got the uh moreno versus figueredo fight oh, i'm sorry hey, yeah, Sean, the, for um, start back talking about the heavyweight fight yeah the heavyweight fight basically they're selling this on the back of the heavyweight fight which is probably one of the top five to seven most important heavyweight fights as far as guys who are dominant and both guys have titles and they're building it around the Moreno fight with the Figueredo fight. So it's basically two, it's a two fight card as far as what's pay-per-view worthy. The rest of these fights can be on a fight night or, or a much smaller card. This doesn't have to be pay-per-view. So they're doing the same thing they accuse boxing of doing. They're stacking a the card with two big, a main event and a co-main event and just giving you whatever they have left to fill out a card with basically. I mean, they could have taken some of the main events from the past couple fight nights and put that on this card and made it a stacked, a truly stacked card. But the UFC is not trying to do that. They're just trying to fulfill their contractual obligations. So we're getting a pay-per-view event that outside of the two fights at the very top of it isn't really pay-per-view worthy. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm. I wasn't really too. Uh, what's the word I want to use? I didn't know what this card consisted of, other than the main and co-main event until I was getting ready for today's show. Um, I see Kay Hansen's there. We'll talk about her later. I see that Rodolfo Vieira is coming back and finally fighting again. Um, so I will talk about that for a second, too. But outside of these two title fights, which are two very good title fights, if I must say so, I am not concerned, but I'm interested in seeing how the UFC goes forward with their pay-per-view strategy, especially after the price increase. I don't think we're going to see a drop-off in buys. I think that they're going to stay probably about where they were uh, beforehand with shows maybe averaging between like three and 400, 500, except for like the big, the big fights. But um, yeah, that's a lot of money. Uh, I don't, I'm not saying it's, it's a lot of money for the target audience of MMA as a whole. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing about it is, you know, everybody says the pay-per-views don't matter and the money doesn't matter because now the UFC's with ESPN and that's fine for the UFC because they get a certain amount of money regardless. So, it's very hard for them to lose money on it as long as they fulfill their contractual obligations. But nobody thinks about it as it pertains to the ESPN because ESPN, for them to continually pay out, they have to make up some of that money somewhere. And not every pay-per-view event is going to be a million buys, even 500,000 buys or 750,000 buys or anything like that. So they have to make up that money somewhere. So you're going to see, I, I would think sometime next year, you might have another price raise to be quite honest. Because, like I said, they, they have to pay out a certain amount of money regardless of the card, regardless of the rating, regardless of what kind of pay-per-view fight it is because they're paying for content. So they have to make up that money somehow when they're constantly putting money out now. So maybe the UFC isn't, isn't in charge of it right now because the UFC is getting a steady paycheck from ESPN regardless. But ESPN is putting that bill, so now they need to make some of this money up because every pay-per-view is not a 500,000-plus seller. So they, they, they lose money on some of these. Very true there, sir. Very true. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into previewing Excuse me, this card. Uh, we have a big main event here. Francis Ngannou, the lineal UFC heavyweight champion, is facing off against Cyril Ghosn, who is the interim heavyweight champion. You have two black men fighting for the title, one being French and the other being from Cameroon. Is he from Ni- He's from Cameroon, right? Or Nigeria? Yeah, he's from Nigeria. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, Let's break this down here. I'm going. I'm, I'll tell you who I feel like is going to win at the end, but you always go first. Let's break this down. Let us know who you think is going to win and why. Um, I mean, on paper, it seems like Gagne is the tougher fighter. Um, you know, he's he's a world he's a world class striker. I don't know that he's truly world class in that sense, but he's a world class striker. He's a high level athlete. I don't know that he's the biggest hitter in the world, to be quite honest. But he's super technical. He's hard to hit. He's very strategic. He's patient. He's athletic. He's shown some ground skills. He's shown some, you know, striking at range. He's shown the ability to pick guys apart. He's shown the ability to break guys down. So you would say that Gagne is by far and away the best fighter as far as over what he's shown in the balance of, balance of skills he's shown and the depth of skills he's shown. Um, and once again, but it's really hard for me to favor him because I haven't seen him work through any adversity. And the biggest problem is he's had the advantages in every single fight he's been in. Even against Derrick Lewis, he's a better technical striker than Lewis. He's probably a better grappler than Lewis. He's a better athlete than Lewis. He's more mobile than Lewis, you know. So it's like there weren't a lot of areas that Lewis could exploit because a lot of Lewis's success is based off, A, his power, and B, his IQ. He has little tricks and little things he does to create the openings for those 
powerful, albeit somewhat technically limited strikes that he lands. And against a guy who's so much better than you technically, a lot of those little tricks aren't work, pressuring someone to the fence, the jump kicks he used to back guys up so he can land the big right hand or the big left hand or the, you know, loading up for one shot to walk you into another one. That That's stuff that confuses strikers of a certain caliber or people who are non-strikers. Against a high-level striker, all those little tricks and I look down, go go look, look low, go high, that doesn't fool them at all. You have to be 10 times the athlete they are to get that off, and he's not. And all the other guys Gagne has beaten have been, you know, first-class UFC heavyweights, but not really in his tier as far as their skill or their athleticism. Volkov wasn't really in his range. The closest would have been Rosenstruck, but even he didn't really have the style, and he wasn't willing to take a certain amount of punishment to get his shots off. So in thinking about this, I really favor Nganu, not really because of a technical level, but they trained years ago. I know years years before they trained together. I would feel that Nganu has actually improved more than Gagne has because he had more to improve. He was just a big a big guy with dynamic athleticism who would land big shots. He was a counterpuncher. He didn't really set his shots up. He didn't really have a lot of craft to his footwork or his positioning or even his delivery. He was a guy who was learning on the job, getting by because he was such a dynamic athlete with such great power. I feel like in the past two years, you've seen a lot of growth as far as how he sets his shots up, uh, how he handles how he handles being pressured, how he handles being in bad spots, how he defends being in bad spots. It's It's been not so much technical growth, even though it's gotten better technically, it's just a better sense of awareness and a better sense of poise in how he fights. And I know that in a bad spot, even if he's getting beaten from pillar to post and he's dead tired, I know that he'll fight through. We saw against Stipe, he was dead tired getting taken out. He was still swinging. He was still fighting. He was still finding avenues to um, compete in the fight. I have no idea what Gagne does if a guy punishes him, if he gets hit with a big shot, if his if he can't get away from a guy's strikes, if he gets taken down and has to work his way back up and can't just easily get a submission or easy, easily get a reversal. He hasn't faced a guy who's anywhere near his athleticism. He hasn't faced a guy with enough experience or broad enough skill set to really test him past a certain point. And Nganu, for all his for all his flaws, has actually faced the better caliber of fighter with a broader range of skills. So I know what he's going to do as far as when he starts getting in bad spots. Now, could he still get knocked out? Obviously, same thing goes for Gagne. But I'm probably going to favor Nganu if no other reason that he's been in tough spots and he's had to work through. And at some point, Surreal is going to be tested. We have no idea what he's going to do when he's tested. We have literally no idea what's going to happen if somebody cracks him really hard in the face because nobody's really done it. We don't know what's going to happen if somebody starts kicking him to the legs and punishing him to the body. We don't know if he'll fold. We don't know if he'll stand up. On paper, he should be able to handle it, but that's on paper. And we've seen a lot of guys who on paper should be able to handle situations they're put in, and as soon as they get into them, they are no longer the fighter they were before, and they are no longer as dominant or they're no longer as poised, or they're no longer as technical. But the biggest advantage, I think, I think both guys have a, a feel for one another. But I think with Surreal, the, the advantage he has is a lot of guys haven't seen his style. They have no idea how to approach it because most heavyweights aren't light on their feet. They're not super technical. They're not super athletic. Nganu at least has a point of reference with Surreal's style. He has, he has a point of reference. And even though I know, once again, Surreal has improved, I'm gonna think. I'm gonna say that I think Ngannou's improved more in his overall skill set, both striking, transitioning, and in wrestling and grappling. So I would say that he's probably made the bigger improvements. He's obviously beating 
beating the better opposition. So my my reasons for picking him are just basically off of a a poise and a mental toughness that comes from being tested. I don't I don't know that I have no idea what Cyril is going to do, and until I see it, I I, I can't buy into the fact that he's going to be able to navigate rough waters when he gets into them. So you said, excuse me, I will cough right when I meet up. So you said a, a couple of things that I really do agree with. We haven't seen what Cyril looks like in those dangerous moments when the pressure is being put on him. And pressure is something that's going to come up when we talk about the co-main event as well, too. So I'm interested in seeing how he looks when he is in the fire in the early portions of this fight. I think the first there's going to be some exchanges in the first and second round that I believe are just going to be make or break moments for him if um, Nganu lands and lands cleanly. He doesn't even really need to land cleanly, as we've seen in the past, to put someone in a dangerous position. So seeing what he looks like in those moments is going to be a key piece that kind of sets this fight apart and tells us what we should expect from Gagne going forward. My question and my concern is how his technical abilities match up with Nganu's deficiencies, meaning that if Gagne can stretch this fight out over three, four, five rounds, what does that look like from uh, Nganu who may not be, and I won't say he's not as patient as we, we only seen him, we only seen patient Nganu once, and that was against Stipe, uh, Stipe who was willing to stand in those pockets and, and exchange, and he ended up taking the wrong end of a shot there. I don't think Gagne is going to do that. He'll be moving more. He'll be using the distance, deep into the knees, deep into the body, and, and, and moving a lot more than Sipe did. So what are your thoughts about how this fight will look if it gets prolonged? Uh, will this play into Gagne's um, favor, or does he also have gas tank issues? Because I've seen that come up too. Well, the, the main thing is both these guys are really kind of more counter guys. They don't really hunt you down. They don't really pressure you like that. Like anytime Ngannou's pressuring, he's trying to get you to throw something at him. He's, he's using the threat of his speed and his explosiveness to get you to throw so he finds an easy counter. That's what he's trying to do. And Ngannou is moving around trying to set traps and find out your rhythm so he can figure out when you're going you're gonna to put power on your shot, when it's just going to be lighter shots when you're, you know, figure out your timing so he can punch you between your shots, set traps so when you come in, he can pivot out and leg kick you. He can step back, walk, in, walk you into a, elite, a pull counter. That They're both counter guys. So to a certain degree, I don't know that either one's going to get exhausted because I'm not sure who's going to be the one who's really going to spend a lot of energy. Mingano um, is not a high-volume kind of striker. He, he hasn't normally been. He hasn't had to be. He hits guys and they go out. And to be honest, um. Gagne isn't really a high-volume kind of guy. He kind of picks you apart and chops away at you. So the only way the gas tank is going to be tested is going to be based on the counters and leads people are landing. And in Ganu's, for Ganu's part, I would like to see him throw body-head combinations. For some reason, all the heavyweights keep chasing Cyril around to throw big head shots and big leg head kicks, and I have no idea why they do that. Not You're not anywhere near his skill, skill level, so trying to hit his head or hit his, hit him with the upper body is going to be very hard given his distance management, his speed, and his technique. What you would want to do is go to the body. He can't move his body. Kick to his legs, kick to his body. And especially in the case of Ngannou, Ngannou has legitimately world-class power. When you're a heavyweight, world-class power kind of travels inside of mixed martial arts and outside of mixed martial arts. So I would like to see Ngannou kick to his legs and throw body-head combinations to see if he could affect that gas tank. Because it's very hard to catch 
Gagne clean to the head, but it's not going to be as hard to get to the body. Now, you're going to have to take some shots in return. Your chin's going to have to hold up. But from what I've seen, Gagne isn't the biggest hitter. If he was, he would have got Derek Lewis hurt way earlier. And um, even in that Lewis fight, Lewis had opportunities to get to the body. He just kept loading up for those big headshots because he knows all he needs to do is land one. So as far as Nganu, his ability to to break down Cyril and make him tired is going to be based on can he make him move more than usual, which is going to mean he's going to have to pressure more. And it's also mean he's going to have to land to the body, land to the legs, and occasionally land to the head. Because if he's landing more, that means Cyril's going to have to punch back more, which is using more energy than he's used to. He's going to have to move more, which is used to using more energy than he's used to. And his legs and body are going to be getting chopped up, which means his gas tank is going to have some holes in it, which means he's going to be leaking energy and using more than he's used to. That's going to be it for um, Nganu. For Cyril, it's kind of the same thing. If he's having to pressure you more, that means he's going to have to work harder because he, he's not going to be able to stop you. Otherwise, he won't be able to get into range. So it's going to be who can make the other person get outside their character, who's get outside their character. I would think, excuse me, Ngannou would be the first one because he's shown to be over anxious at times. When he gets somebody hurt, he'll, he'll walk in a little bit. He'll try to follow up to finish immediately. So that'll give Gagne opportunities to counter him. But really, being that they're both counter-based fighters, it's very hard for me to see that they, either one of them gets really worn out if they're not landing at a certain clip or landing a certain quality of shots. Like when Derek Lewis and Ngannou fought, they both weren't really tired at the end of those three rounds because neither one really did anything because everybody was waiting for the other person to leave. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of, how that dynamic plays off. If you had to bet with both men being counterfighters the way you described them, who's the one that's going to actually end up leading? I'd assume Ngannou because he has the power. I mean, he's he's going to lead to a stint either way. He's going to pressure, hoping to get Cyril to throw something early that he can counter big on or counter, counter you know, to the body, to the legs, to wear him down, to set him up for something big later. So I'd assume he'd be the guy who's going to be chasing early on. Um, he could sit back, but generally when you're the puncher, even if you're not chasing, you're uh, pressuring. And I, I also think that Ngannou's going to take some chances as far as getting into tie-ups and wrestling a little bit to see if he can um, physically bully um, Gagne. Because Gagne has been able to have his way on the ground and kind of reverse people and, and throw them down, but he's never faced somebody with kind of Ngannou's physical strength and his physicality. And I think they both know that in tie-ups or exchanges, um, one, it's easier for Ngannou to hit him if they're tied up, and two, he can't physically bully Ngannou or just shrug him off or improve position uh, when a guy's got that much of an advantage over you as far as his strength, his um, physicality, and his size and weight. Good stuff there, sir. Good um, good breakdown. So let's move on. And actually, before we do that, who's your winner and how? Um, I'm probably saying Ganu. It might be by decision. Stoppage seems really easy, but it might be by decision. Um, to be honest, all he, even if he doesn't knock him out, all he has to do is land shots to get attention. If Gagne is just chipping him up all, all five rounds, but Ngannou can land some big offense for about two or three of them, they're going to go with the big offense. If he can drop them or stun them or send them reeling into the cage, they're going to go for those rounds. Uh, so, I mean, you can outwork somebody, but when you outwork somebody, you've got to clearly outclass them. And if Ngannou can land some big shots and land with even a fair amount of regularity, I, I think people are going to, the judges are going to be swayed by the power and his physicality and give the fight to him. 
Good stuff. I am actually leaning more towards Gagne in this fight. I think he's going to go with the point scoring strategy, and I believe he'll do enough to win three rounds. Like he may have some scary points in at the start of the fight, but I think he's going to do enough to pick up the victory um, via decision. That's well, the one th- one thing is he he doesn't have as much to lose with this. I mean, he's right now he's on the good side of the UFC. They're still happy with him. They're still supporting him and building him up. Ngannou, on the other hand, has been in a very public spat with them. So he's got a lot right because he wants to do boxing. He wants to have some opportunities. Getting If he wins this fight and he can hold his own against a world-class striker that, that once again keeps his title, sells him moving forward. But if he gets thoroughly outstruck and gets knocked out or basically quits from the amount of punishment, um, that's going to put a halt to, A, his title reign, his momentum in mixed martial arts and also any immediate ventures into going to boxing are going to go away because, I mean, it's just a bad look for somebody going to boxing, challenging the best boxer when he's getting knocked out or handled in mixed martial arts. Regardless of the caliber of the guy, it's going to affect the casual impression of who he is as a fighter. So he's got a lot riding on this, and I would think that he'd have to be beyond ready for anything because um, if, he, if he loses and he loses badly, the UFC is going to bury him. We've seen them do this before. Do you think that he really does go to boxing if he picks up a win? I don't know that the UFC will let him, but he's trying to create interest and he's trying to trend, trying to create public interest and enough money where the UFC's hand may be forced. And I, I, I don't know that the UFC's hand can be forced. All I know is he's obviously not happy with his money and he's looking for some better opportunities. And everything he's looking for is on the other side of this fight with him being victorious. Um, anything else is, is going to cost him his goodwill, he's already cost himself the goodwill with the UFC. He'll cost himself the goodwill with some of the fans. And uh, as far as paydays, you're coming off a loss and you're a former champion. Uh, those paydays aren't the same as when you got the title. He just got it. He hasn't really had the chance to reap the benefits of being a champion yet. So it's, I would hope that he's beyond ready for this and he's beyond prepared and he's willing to go through whatever he's got to go through to win this because a loss for Gagne, he was an interim champ. He lost the established champ. He'll move back up fairly quickly. A loss for Ngannou, I don't know, man. That's that's a different. You you know what it's like when you're on the UFC's bad end and you have a crushing loss. It's 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 problematic. Good stuff there, sir. Let's move on to the co-main event, which is a big, which is a big fight as well. I almost kind of forgot this fight was on this card, but um, we have the trilogy fight between Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueredo. Um, sorry about that. The first fight in a majority draw in 2020. Second fight ended with uh, Moreno getting the victory via submission in 2021. Now we're fighting for the third time. Uh, looking at this fight, I actually just wrote my preview and prediction piece around this fight for Fanside MMA. Check that out. This should probably probably be coming out tomorrow, if not late tonight. But I am looking at this fight as it is Moreno's to lose right now. I looked at a lot of information about the previous two fights, and what I noticed was in the last, they fought They fought a total of eight rounds. And in the last five of those total eight, Moreno was picking up steam in a way that showed me he has more gas to offer over an extended period of time than Figueredo does. I feel like Figueredo is an is a, is a early, I don't want to say a front runner, but he puts guys away quickly, he puts them in danger quickly. That kind of breaks down their confidence and, and allows him to go about his way. He tried that with Moreno the first time he fought, they fought, but Moreno fought back. 
and we ended up we saw what ended up happening with their fight in 2020. Yeah, I don't think that fight was a draw though. It was. It was majority draw. The first one. I know. I know. It wasn't majority uh, draw, but I don't think that fight was a draw. Yeah, I thought that um, Moreno did enough to win it as well, too. Um, yeah. I mean, I see. I see the point in it. I just don't think it was a draw. Yeah, I, 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 we can talk more about that in a second. But um, looking at this fight coming up, I just feel like Moreno is going to be able to weather the storm early, and he'll do enough. I'm actually picking him to stop um, Figueredo at some point in the third or fourth round. Uh, what are some of your thoughts about that? Um, the biggest thought I have, I've made a big thread on this on uh, Twitter a couple of days ago. Basically, with Moreno, this is his whole thing. He's got the same issue Anthony Joshua has, Conor McGregor has to a degree, Jose Aldo has, but he's defensively sound, so it's not as much of one. Even Michael Chandler, Amanda Nunes. He's a very physically powerful, he's a very dynamic, strong, athletic fighter who basically fights in spots. And usually in those spots of offense, he's able to basically either essentially either wipe guys out, knock them out, or just finish them submissions after hurting them and taking them down and get a new position. He can just finish them. If you can get through the rough spots with him, he when he's not exploding, he basically has these lulls. Same thing as Tyron Woodley, too. They have these lulls in action where they're doing they're doing they're fighting, but they're not fighting with the intensity, the accuracy, or the aggression they were in those big spots. So maybe three to five times around, they'll have this big spot of offense. If you can, the further you get along the fight, the spots get further apart and they get less and less and allow you to have moments where you can just get by on out hustling them because you get them take down instead of using a butterfly guard or a slick reversal or submission from the bottom, they're just going to explode back up. You get to their leg, instead of them sprawling out and really working their way out, they're just going to rip you off their legs and start firing shots off. They're so used to ending fights and dominating fights with the threat of what they can do and with the actual result of what they can do that they don't have a lot of success when they can't finish immediately. Then the person starts putting a jab on them, starts putting combinations, and that and then later as the fight goes later and later, it becomes harder and harder to find those spots of offense to turn a fight. And that's basically what lost it to him. And the first that's what the first fight was competitive. He caught on him early, but Moreno scrambles, Moreno fights you through, Moreno fights you at every level. So if you don't finish him, he's going to get right back in your face. And if you don't finish him, he's not going to get hurt and back off. He's going to get hurt and keep going. So you have to put sustained punishment on him. And you have to be ready for the fact he's going to fight you in every sort of grappling exchange, every striking exchange, every position on the ground. You're going to have to work for it. He's just not going to give it up. And that ultimately allowed him to do enough work to get the draw. And then the second fight, um, I think really the weight, I think the weight cut was really an issue. And if you're going to come in on unsteady legs and not have your chin and not have your energy levels completely ready, you can't fight in that manner. Because when you explode in these spots, you open yourself up for counters. You open yourself up for leads when you're recovering. And if you don't have that athleticism and that athletic ability behind you, you're just going to get punished and run over, which is exactly what happened in the second fight. What I believe is Henry Cejudo is now trying to measure him out a little bit, make him a little bit more poised, a little bit more control in what he's doing to set up his shots and manage distance. So instead of him throwing big shots, punching his way into distance, which a lot of MMA fighters do, they throw strikes to get to the spot they want to get. Cejudo's trying to teach him how to creep and slide and step into the spots. So then instead of throwing three punches to get into the spot and landing one or two, you can slide into the spot, throw five punches and land three. And they're betting on the fact that with his power and his accuracy, he'll be able to finish if he can maximize his shots and minimize the energy he has to use 
to get to those spots and to land those shots. So I think not that it was such a bad loss, but if Devison can t- do that tightrope bat between controlled and chaotic aggression, it's re- it really should be a fight for him to win. It's going to be a tough fight regardless, but it should be a fight that he can win because he's a better athlete, he's a bigger hitter, he's a better finisher, and as good as Moreno is and as much as he's improved, Moreno's not really defensively sound. But you have to make you have to control the exchanges you have with them. And Devison is so used to blowing guys away that he let control those exchanges go into Moreno's favor. But now I think Cejudo's trying to rein him in a little bit to make it efficient. If you're gonna explode in a big spot, you can throw ten strikes. I need you to land five or six of them. I don't need you landing three out of ten. I need five or six out of ten. And if he's consistently landing five out of ten of every one of those big explosions, I don't believe Moreno's gonna make it through. It's really gonna come down to is the weight good and has he mastered that balance between controlled aggression and chaotic aggression. So let me ask this, because you mentioned uh, Henry Cejudo a couple times, and he's actually the my X factor in this fight here. What do you think he adds to Figueredo's game in such a short time? My thoughts are around his ability to take Moreno down, because I, I was looking at the stats again from their previous two fights, and Moreno did a good job staying on his feet. So do we I think... think- that Cejudo does enough to allow, to help um, Davison get the fight to the floor. Because we saw that with Wiley Zhang versus Rose Namajunas. She was going for more takedowns in that fight, at least early. So do we think that that'll translate over to Davison's potential strategy here on Saturday? The first thing is, I know one of the managers who works with the Pitbulls, so I kind of have an idea how they think. Because like he was telling me about, you know, when when up before... When I used to tell, I was telling him before Cejudo fought Marais and all these people, I was telling him what I thought. He has my opinion. He's like, your opinion is right on line with Henry and, and Eric's. Like, you're seeing it exactly the way they see it. People get fooled by the the sideshow aspect and the corniness aspect of a Cejudo, but he's very smart. You don't become an Olympic athlete and, and ascend through mixed martial arts the way he does unless you're some caliber of intelligence as it pertains to con- combat sports. There's two things he brings. He's not coming on. He brings in authority because he has firsthand experience, and he brings in authority because of his accomplishments. Against Wiley, all he did was he made her more patient. Wiley was trying, when, in the first fight, for some reason, after fighting Joanna Jendrick, I can't say her name still, Wiley thought, I faced this world-class striker. I can get exchanges with Rose because I fought somebody who's a volume puncher, who's more accomplished, who was one of the best champions. I took her best shots. I can take Rose Namajunas. And before that fight, I told her, I said repeatedly, she has never really gotten hit clean in the face by a power puncher. And the first time she does, I don't think she's going to make it. And the first time she got clipped, she got dropped by Rose because she was standing in Rose's, she was standing at range with Rose, figuring I can, I can afford to throw out these dummy shots or these naked kicks and naked strikes because I can handle whatever's coming back because I've handled it from all these other fighters. That was not the case. In the second fight, she showed more control and poise. She was setting up her stuff, and she was making Rose come to her because Rose was trying to recreate that that dynamic finish, and Rose kept reaching, and Rose kept over-pursuing, and that's what got Rose taken down, and that's what got Rose roughed up, and that's got Rose in like a you know, 1-1 or 2-0 hole, depending on how you see the fight. Once Rose sat back and started making Wiley come to her, Wiley didn't have the physical tools to hunt Rose down, to control position, or to avoid her strikes, or do enough damage with the strikes she's landing, because Rose is a much better athlete. Most has um, Rose has the much wider skill get skills set of skills. 
it's kind of that way. I think Figueredo has the better skills and he has the wider set of skills. What he doesn't have is the cardio or the ability or the mentality to constantly to work to work through steps. Moreno works through steps to land his shots. He's not quick enough. He's not fast enough to just jump in with a leaping left hand. He's got to pressure you. He's got to slide his feet. He's got to be in the right position so that he gets hit, but not hit the way you want him to be hit. So he, he can get it in spots where he can go boom, boom, come over the top. He can't just boom, boom, come over the top because he's so fast. That's the difference. All Cejudo's going to do is rein it in. Instead of you starting from three feet out too far and using big explosive movements to get to your spot because that costs energy. And that only that not only does that cost energy, if you miss all those shots or that guy steps back, you've got to explode again. So you've used two big explosions. You ain't got shit done. In fact, you probably ran into shots because in this, as you fight a guy more and more, even if they're really fast, you start, start figuring out their timing, their spacing, their rhythm. So it gets easier to counter them. What Cejudo is going to do, from what I understand, what I'm thinking of this, Cejudo is going to make him go through the appropriate steps. If you're going to a takedown, you are going to set it up correctly with strikes. If you're going to throw a combination, you're not going to start the combination out here because when you throw wide like that, you're letting him get your timing. The first shot's way too short. The second shot's halfway short. I know in the third shot, you're going to be right into the range, so I just step in and clip you. He's going to make him go through the proper steps so that he can maximize his physical abilities. All he's going to do is get him to go through steps, set things up, rein it in, instead of just looking for the home run shot. The home run shot will be there eventually, but it's kind of like a Tom Brady might hand it off, short pass, short pass, hand it off. Then when the defense blows coverage, bomb down the middle. That's the same thing. It's not going to be a, high, a bunch of highlight reel movements. He's going to try to get him to fight with discipline, go through A, B, C, D, explode on E, and since now you're in range and now you're in position, you can maximize that explosion and really punish somebody instead of just trying to explode into spots and explode out of spots, which is what Figueredo has been able to do. That works when you have a person who won't engage you in certain spots. That works when you have a guy or a girl who you hit and they get scared and they back off. Juliana Pena didn't back off. Katz and Gounder didn't back off. They beat the hell out of Amanda Nunez. Moreno did not back off or get defensive. And in the second fight, he beat the hell out of Devison. So all he's going to do is try and get him to go through the steps correctly, be defensively responsible, and be disciplined in how and when he explodes with that offense. It's all strategical. Technically, you can't make that many changes right away. You can make some, but it's the same thing working with a combat sports athlete or a basketball player. I can't change your technique in a week or two. I can change how you see the game. I can change how you see the fight and have you make strategical adjustments. Based on that, I can do that quick. I can do that with a fighter. I can do that with a basketball player. I cannot change your technique like that overnight. That ain't going to happen. But I can teach you how to read defenses and read offenses so you have a counter. And now you don't you see things you didn't see before because now I'm calm, slowing you down and forcing you to get away from your tools and actually run through the actual system or run through the game plan instead of just, oh, I'm just going to go and dunk on her. I'm just going to land that right hand. No, you got to set it up. You got to set it up. That's all he's doing. So who do you have winning and why? I want to say Moreno. I like him. I think he's a really gritty fighter. In fact, it's probably going to be Moreno. I really don't think Devison should be fighting at this weight class, to be honest. I don't think he should be fighting at it. I think after that draw, he should have moved up. I think his goal was to move up and challenge for another title the next class because he had that run. And I think staying at this weight class is a 50-50 proposition because it just, I think it takes away from his ability to recover from explosions and maximize the explosions. But against my best wishes, I'm going to err on the side 
saying Cejudo has made enough of an adjustment and due to his clout and his accomplishment, I think Devison is going to buy in. I think it's like Cejudo said, at some point he started running the show and he needed someone who was above him who could physically check him and say, no, we're going to do this the right way. And if he can just make slight adjustments, like if he can learn to maximize his expenditures and his offensive burst, if he gets 25% better at those and, and the weight's not a problem, I, I don't see how he loses. Because as good, like I said, as good as Moreno has, his boxing's improved, his setups, his combinations are a little bit cleaner, his transitions are cleaner. The fact of the matter is a lot of success is based on the fact that Devison was wide open, Devison was dead tired, Devison was wasting energy trying to just finish the fight immediately. I'm not sure if he's prepared for a disciplined, in control, not in their technical, but more of a strategical Devison. Because he can, he, can, he can wrap the power up at any time. But I believe he can go 1-1, 2-1 in the first couple rounds, and the last couple just sell out for the power. So um, I'm, I'm going to say Devison wins. I don't know if he wins by a knockout. might be a decision because he might fade even late. But um, I'm going to say Devison either wins by decision or maybe submission. Okay, so those are some good thoughts there. Let's look at the rest of this card. What else stands out to you? Let's talk about Kay Hansen first. That's actually what I wanted to converse about, and we can talk about uh, Rodolfo and go from there. So she's coming off of a loss. Uh, she's someone that, that a lot of people were really hyped up about when she made her debut into the UFC. Um, she's coming off of a loss from 2020, so she's had a year to get better. She's still super young, man. She's only 22 years old, turning 23 this year. What are some of your thoughts, and what do you want to see from her coming into Saturday's fight? Um, well, first of all, they're giving her a fight that she should win. She's facing an opponent who's had some experience, but ultimately is a person who gets by on physicality, aggression, and their ability to back people up. Kay's a better athlete. She's a bigger hitter. And she's she's probably got a more accomplished skill set against a better class of opponent. So they're giving her a fight that should be easy unless she chooses to make it difficult. What I want to see from Kay is a little bit more poise in what she's doing and a little bit more, more nuance. She hasn't fought in what? It's been, a, what, six, seven months, 11? For Kay Hansen? Yeah. She, fought, she last fought in November of 2020. November 2020, so eh, I guess it hasn't been too long. I, I really just like to see a, a bit of a technical progression. Um, in her fight over Jin Yu Frey, Frey was having moments of success because Hansen was determined to impose her will on her and impose a pace on her. Um, and then she kind of just outlasted her and then broke her down with the wrestling and the striking and kind of took over the fight um, from there. But... I want to see her show a little bit more poise, a little bit more defensive responsibility, and, and maximize her physical tools, not just – you can always impose your will on somebody. You can always try to overwhelm them. I just want her to set it up a little bit better because she's not the kind of athlete that just can walk through anybody. It's going to take her time to break someone down because she's not that dynamic. So her team needs to realize she is not an apex predator-type athlete. She's a good, not a great one, and they need to start – Developing her to fight with the poise and the instruction and the nuance that a fighter who does not have one-punch fight-ending power or super elite dynamic athleticism needs to fight with. So I want to see some poise with her. I want to see some growth with her. I do not want to see her get into heavy, unnecessary exchanges or heavy, unnecessary ground exchanges against somebody who's really not in her caliber, I think, athletically or technically. Good stuff. So you expect her to win this fight. How about our boy, my boy, um, 
Odolfo, exceptional grappler, coming in uh, off of a win. He had to bounce back after his loss to Anthony Hernandez. So he picked up a win a couple of months later in July. Um, what do you expect from him? I'm just wanting, I just want to see if this guy can fight for 15 minutes. That's it. That's all I'm asking. Can he fight at a decent pace for 15 minutes? But what do you expect to see from, from, from him? Yeah, um, I like to see, I just, I would like to see a little, like I said, I like to see him be able to pressure a little bit more methodically without opening himself up to counters. I don't want to, I, I would like him to not feel the need to force or get the fight to the ground immediately. That's where Damian Maya separated himself from other grapplers. They would get themselves in positions where they had to force fights to the ground or waste energy trying to get to fight the ground because they had no idea how to fight a distance or close or pressure an opponent without getting lit up. I would like to see something of that nature from him as well. Um, I don't think his opponent is obviously not a top-tier opponent. This is the kind of guy you start showing the growth and showing your tools against because a loss against this kind of guy isn't doing him any favors. So I'd like to see him coming behind a jab. I'd like to see a little bit more easy, slicker transitions between striking and between grappling. And I would like to see his ability to kind of press or if he's going to step back and hit reactive takedowns stand at range and bait someone in to get those easy clinch or the easy tie-ups that can get him to the ground without him wasting a bunch of energy. Because if you spend so much energy trying to get a takedown or trying to tie up with somebody, that's when grappling can become your worst enemy because even though you're far and away better than someone, you need a certain amount of energy against this caliber of athlete and this caliber of fighter to finish. And when you're not finishing, that often means you're on the ground getting punched up, beat up, or worn down, which isn't a, good for his career growth, or B, good for trying to win a decision. So I'd like to see better setups and a little bit more methodical, more of a methodical nature in creating those takedown opportunities or those um, grappling exchanges. Good stuff there, sir. Um, I am, I'm interested in seeing this card, uh, the two main events, at least. Uh, I'm not too bought into the rest of the card, but we can always be thoroughly surprised. Uh, that's too, we are yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of fights that aren't really super appealing and aren't really going to change the direction of the the divisions they're in. You know, it's they're literally selling this fight on the backs of Nganu, Gagne, and um, Moreno Figueredo. That that's about it. That's there's nothing else in this card, and that's not just for the fighters. They're all good fighters. They're, they're all trying to make a living. They're trying to make their name, but none of them have made enough of a name where you should be filling out the card with fights at the top of this magnitude yeah we're definitely due for a great card so um let's kind of see what this plays out to this weekend so Schwan, um what's going on in boxing man i was looking around today working on the agenda for today's show and i didn't see a whole lot so what's going on in boxing what should we be keeping an eye out on for this week uh well i mean they're still sorry people are still talking about the uh, impending uh uh, Crawford battle with uh, Aram in court about Bob Aram supposedly n- not supporting or promoting black fighters. And, and that's a long-standing thing. We, I already said my piece on how I, I don't think Terrence Crawford is a draw. And that had a lot more to do with it than anything Bob Aram did or didn't do against him. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, they have been announcing that uh, Keith Thurman is going to be fighting Mario Barrios, who lost to Javante Davis at 140. He's going to fight um, Keith Thurman at 147. It's Keith Thurman's first fight back from the Pacquiao fight after about two years off. 
and um, he's going to be fighting Mario Barrios. It's going to be on a pay-per-view card. It's headlining a pay-per-view card, and that's going to card is going to be seventy-five dollars for that pay-per-view. And this is a fight that is not worth a dollar pay-per-view card. Um, Thurman has not fought in two years. Barrios has never fought at welterweight. He was a 140 champion belt holder, and he lost to Javante Davis. So you have two guys who weren't big draws who are coming off of losses. One of them lost to a guy who operates at the lightweight limit. The other one's a guy who hasn't fought in two years, and they're going to charge people $75 for that pay-per-view. Um, fans are not a big, very happy with it because the original, the PBC, Premier Boxing Club or whatever, they were – initially coming in to usher in a, a year of free boxing on free TV where fans wouldn't have to pay pay-per-views to see big stars and big matchups. And now later on in their existence, they're putting a bunch of fights on pay-per-view that aren't pay-per-view worthy. Javante Davis, Easy Cruz was not a pay-per-view fight. Mario Barrios, Keith Thurman is not a pay-per-view fight. And it's going to be yet one of the other things that kind of holds back boxing in its progression because, you know, we're, we're charging fans for things that they shouldn't be charged for. Uh, it should be a good fight because Thurman hasn't fought in two years. We have no idea what he has left. And, um, you know, Barrios at least has some burn from fighting Geronta Davis. So it should draw some eyes, but it's not a pay-per-view fight because neither one of these guys currently has proven that they're world-class at the 147 um, weight class. And the uh, last thing is Shakur Stevenson may, in fact, get the uh, fight that he, he's been asking for. Oh, man, I can't remember this guy's name. I got to look it up now. Um, but Shakur Stevenson has been asking for a title fight versus Oscar Valdez, uh, who's in the same camp as Canelo. And it's looking like Bob Arum is trying to settle that fight and make that fight happen. And that would probably be the biggest fight of the weight class, and it's probably a fight that Shakur Stevenson could use to help elevate himself to a possible pay-per-view level or at least force his way into fights with some of the named guys who are a weight class ahead of him, such as Javonta Davis, Devin Haney, and guys of that nature. So that's a very important fight. I don't know that we'll get it, but it is a fight that will be, you know, a big one in that division. Okay, sir. Um, that's all I had, man. We have a very light agenda for today because I feel like UFC 270 is going on and that's really about it. So why don't you let everybody know what you are working on this week, sir? Um, I'm just working. I still turned into Colby Covington's article, Caroline Kovacavich. I uh, kind of talk about the good and bad about Covington's style inside and outside of the cage. Um, I do a kind of breakdown on Caroline Kovacavich and at one point she was one of the brightest stars in the UFC and then she kind of fell off and has really kind of ended her career. I know she's still fighting, but at this point, her career is in a real bad way. So I'm kind of breaking down where her camp went wrong, where she went wrong, where the matchmaking went wrong that ultimately led to her being in the position uh, she's in right now. Um, before I hand it over to you, one thing I, I do want to say is um, this is what I try to give these tips out to fighters because, like, obviously I'm not a fighter, but I work with a lot. And something a lot of fighters need to understand, especially with the, the Kayla Harrison thing, a lot of people are saying she's not fighting the best and she should fight the best. But a lot of people in the UFC who fight the best, what do they always complain about? I'm not getting paid enough. I should get paid to fight the best. The fact of the matter is this is prize fighting, as you said. And there's a certain amount of legacy that matters that helps you make more money. 
but the key is to make as much money as you can before you have to kill yourself to make the biggest amount of money. More fighters should champion and be supportive of Kayla Harrison. And the fact that a lot of fans are not supportive of her lets you know that they have no concern for the fighter's well-being, financial or physical, because you should like to see a fighter win by getting a bunch of humongous paydays fighting pretty much nondescript opposition. Is it competitive? No. Is it exciting? No, but it's a fighter winning. And even though we see fighters win fights, rarely do we ever see the fighter win the fight outside of the cage. Most of them can't pay their bills. Most are begging for bonuses. Most of them are complaining they can't afford to have a family or stop fighting because they need whatever they get from the UFC. So to see a fighter in a position where they've got some acclaim, they've got an undefeated record, they've got numerous big paydays, and they haven't really had to take a lot of punishment, once again, while from a competitive standard, it's not very attractive. The fact of the matter is, on a from a human humanitarian perspective and disrespecting her as a sportsman, I have to say cheers to her because in this business, the the humans involved in it rarely walk away unscathed and they definitely don't walk away with a pocket full of money. And the second thing I want to talk about really quickly is last last week um main event, Chikazi versus um Cater. Dude, I totally I, forgot about that card. <laughs> But go yeah, ahead. I, I basically said, if is it Giga or Giga? Giga. Giga. If Giga is who who we think he is, he wins this fight going away. If he's a complete fraud, he gets beat by Cater and he tumbles down the rankings. Well, I think it was proven that while he can fight and he's durable, as far as being in the top five, top seven of fighters, he's a complete fraud. He's a dumb fight. He fought a very uninspired fight and he fought a fight that was dripping with arrogance where he thought that he was just going to walk through cater now i thought he could beat him but at no point did i say he was going to walk through him i said most likely if you cater got through the first couple rounds cater's pressure and his volume was going to wear down on him and essentially that's what happened except giga was unable to get any momentum from the beginning of fight to the end of the fight it was basically one-way traffic and for a guy who was talking, calling out Holloway and saying Volkanovski is trash and Holloway is a burnout and Ortega's garbage and Yair Rodriguez is ducking him, for a guy who talked that kind of talk for the last two years to get so summarily dominated, not even just knocked out with a big shot or in a back and forth war, he was beating the fuck up for five rounds. I don't care about what he hit Cater with. The fact of the matter is Cater just dominated him in every phase of the fight. To lose in that fashion to a guy who, in my opinion, still is in a top three guy, the weight class. All the top three guys, top four guys in the weight class, I believe, beat Cater as he is right now. And Giga couldn't do anything of any real note except take a beating and survive a beating. He didn't show any IQ. He didn't show any ability to adapt. He didn't show any courage in how he fought. And I don't mean that he was scared, but once he got taken down, he wasn't willing to really exchange or go after him anymore because he was afraid of being taken down again. And he's supposed to be a guy who's got grappling chops and wrestling chops. And he wanted none of that. He wanted no parts of Cater in any grappling exchange or any wrestling exchange. So he basically was outclassed in every single aspect of the game. And he needs to go back to the drawing board and completely rewrite what he's doing. Because if you're not getting past Calvin Cater and you're losing like that to Calvin Cater, you're not an elite fighter. You're not a top five fighter. You're not a top four fighter. In fact, in the fact he lost in a non-competitive fight, essentially says he's nowhere near being a top fighter and he he has a lot of work to do. 
So it wasn't disappointing. I like Cater. I didn't want to be right, but I still believe Cater is there to be taken, but he's there to be taken by elite fighters. And I was fooled into thinking that Giga had that potential at, at this at this time. Maybe as, as far as athleticism, maybe even has as far as skill. But as far as IQ and poise, he does not have world-class IQ and poise. Otherwise, he could have turned that fight around. And he had, at no point was he anywhere close to turning that fight around. Even when Cater was tired and getting hit a lot, he had no opportunity to turn that fight around. He conceded and capitulated to him from basically the first exchange on. Yeah, I was pretty surprised with the way he fought as the fight went on. Um, I thought that he would, his strategy would be different. Uh, and, it, and it definitely didn't seem like that, um, that he and his corner were making any adjustments. I won't go as far as I call him a fraud. I will say, let's see what he looks like when he gets the opportunity to retool and come back. Um, I'll, I'll say one thing. When, when, you talk, when you talk that kind of talk and you haven't beaten a world-class opponent, then you're a fraud. Because he didn't say it's a good fight. It's going to be back forward. We'll see what happens. He said, I'm better than Holloway. I'm better than the best featherweight of all time. I'm better than the second best featherweight of all time. I'm crushing all these guys. Give me my shot. All he had to do is beat Calvin Cater, and Calvin Cater is the most vulnerable guy in the top five of the UFC. That's what he had to him, but he was the guy who was the most vulnerable guy. He's the guy who hit the ceiling when he faced a certain caliber athlete, a certain caliber fighter. He's proven his limitations. So you got the guy you want. You got a name. You got him coming off of a huge one-sided beating, and the best you could do is say that, hey, I got a good chin, and I survived five rounds. Hey, Giga's tougher than me. He's a better fighter than me. I'm not arguing that. But you can't talk that kind of talk and then go in there and lay an egg like he did. He didn't have any answers. There were no adjustments from his corner. But when you talk like that, you as a fighter should have an adjustment. He made no, he didn't touch the body. He wasn't really feigning. He didn't really try takedowns of his own. He wasn't able to offer any submissions from the ground. He was he couldn't improve his position on the ground. I mean, he just got bullied, beat up, and walked down for the entirety of a fight by a guy by his own admission wasn't in his class. He said that. Cater isn't in my class. I'm going to win this fight impressively and go on to my t- get my title shot. Did he look what impressive? He, what he said after the fight where he was like nine times out of ten, he wins. Yeah, and that nonsense. So see, we're going to say, well, that's harsh for you to call him a fraud. Did you, after somebody beats you like that, the first thing you say is nine times out of ten, I win that fight? That's the guy you're standing up for? And the whole, well, you know, those are fighters, and you say this now, you're critical of them now. I deal with fighters, dude. I've had fighters send people to come beat me up in the gym when sparring because they didn't like what I said. I'm not like the rest of y'all. I can just say what I got to say regardless. Getting, Having a pro fighter wanting to fight me is not the worst thing that happened in my life. I don't want it, but it's not, I've already had that situation happen. It's, it's not the worst thing in my life. He looked like he was Conor McGregor. Prime Conor McGregor, he got beat up like the Conor McGregor who'd been out of the cage for two years. So you talk that kind of talk, you set that kind of table, you demand title shots, you have to go through. He didn't go through, and I'm just calling him out. I'm staying true to what I said. I said, if he's who I say he is, he walks, he beats up Cater in a tough fight, but he wins impressively. But if he's a fraud, he loses, and he lost. Very true, sir, very true. So we're going to go ahead and um, close out. Thank you for reminding me to talk about that fight. But um, we're going to go ahead and close out. Schwan, go get your cat, whatever the heck it is. Uh, he just does this. He just gets ticked off and just sits around and sleeps all day and then sits around and annoys people, knocks people's water over. It's That's, that's what they do, yeah. man. Gotta, uh, he, knows, he, he knows you're taping, so he's like, I'm going to make sure the world hears me. But um, we'll be back next week.
for episode 229. We're creeping up there in numbers, but uh, thank you as always for everyone taking the time to follow and support our show. So we'll be back here next week. Thank you, Shawan, for all your commentary and, and thoughts on these fights going on. And thank you, sir. Thank you, everyone, for your support. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you find us at MMA Ratings. Thank you, everyone, and have a great night. Oh, you can't love or support us because this cash should be gone by now. <laughs> have a good right, night. Well.